0: and have a great time in their class. The doctor's retired, but something's back. So they've got some other kind of theme this month, so they're having fun with that. Let's stand and read the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we'll start at verse number 1. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And you will have to follow on your own today. No screen to help you, so glad to see some of you have your Bibles with you or your phones. You can look that up. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Oh, and thank you for giving. Um, You can continue to give by dropping your offering off at the end of the service, giving by e-transfer and other ways. And thank you for the gifts you gave to our missionary last week. We don't have the full total, but I think we've raised close to $500 to give them and send them off with. So that's awesome. God bless you for your, your faith in the missionaries that are going out to do the work of God across this world. That's awesome. Awesome. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. All right, let's pray and ask God to touch our hearts and our minds. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're going to speak to us today, Lord. You know where we're at. You know what we're facing. Father, and I pray that your word would speak to us, apply it to our lives. Let your spirit work in our midst to apply the word and help us to see what we have to see today in Jesus name we give you praise and thanks for it amen you can be seated i want to grab hold of i want you to grab hold of hope today i want you to really when you leave the end of this service you leave the end of this message you have a better grasp of who you are in Christ and if you've already experienced salvation by being baptized in Jesus' name, your sins have been forgiven, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, I want you to have a greater understanding, a permanent image, if you will, in your mind of what Jesus has really done for you. Yes. And the wonder, wonder-working power of the blood. We sang about it this morning. There is nothing stronger than the wonder-working power of the blood of Jesus. And, and we can say words like that, but when you really have an understanding, you can fight back the, the thoughts and the fears and the, the attacks of the enemy that want to come against you. If you have not experienced that this morning, and I, I want to encourage you, you have an opportunity today to respond to the Word of God. You have an opportunity to, to get a hold of what I'm preaching here this morning, what the Word of God says. And when we read here in, in Romans chapter 8, uh, we're reading kind of, you know, you're, it's like it's, it's the the verse and chapter dynamic of the Bible is not how it was originally written. Uh, when you read Romans chapter 8, it's like you picked up somebody's letter and you skipped the first half of what they wrote. And you just picked something out of the middle and you're you're starting there. So, you know, it's easy to to not fully understand or grasp what is being said without knowing the back or the the, the first part of what is being said. And Romans is a letter Paul writes to a church in Rome, and and he's he's writing to them a lot about sin and and condemnation and and the origin of sin, and and, uh, he's attacking some Jewish presuppositions that... Just because they're Jews, they have it in the bag that they're righteous and that they're, they don't have anything to worry about. They're the people of God, and he deals with all of those things. And then he deals with this idea of, of guilt, condemnation, shame, and, and uh, he talks about that through the book of Romans. Uh, the word condemnation literally means an adverse sentence, a verdict. You know, you think of someone who's on a death row. They've committed an offense that's worthy of capital punishment. And they might even be referred to in the prison as the condemned. You know, because they are, they've received a harsh sentence. A judgment, a verdict that has pronounced a severe judgment on them. They're declared fit, unfit for use. There's no redemption quality in them, so... They cannot, they cannot tax the government system financially, so they, they say, you know what, we're just going to end their life. They, they deserve capital punishment. And someone who's facing the death sentence might even be nicknamed or called the condemned. There's no hope. Guilt is evident. The crime has been committed. The sentence has been passed, and they now are under the condemnation of that judgment or verdict. Paul uses this word in regards to sin and the effects that sin brings in the lives of humanity. In fact, in, in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 12, we'll dial back a little bit. Paul re- writes, therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, there's an ancient doctrine in church history that that kind of teaches that we're all guilty because of Adam's sin in the garden, that he has passed that guilt on to everybody. And that that is not exactly what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that Adam, we are not guilty for Adam's sin. We've all committed our own sin. What Adam did was he introduced the idea of sin and the, the perhaps the propensity or the the draw to sin, the human condition of, uh, uh, of shame and guilt and fear has all been introduced through Adam. His choice to disobey God, his choice to take the knowledge of good and evil into his own hands. And that, that goes with the understanding of what happened in the garden. What did God say to Adam and Eve? He said, don't touch the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil to partake of it. Don't, don't, don't partake of that tree. And What God was really saying was, if you don't eat this tree, you're leaving the knowledge of good and evil in my hands. I'll define for you what is good and what is evil. You leave that in my hands. And what Adam essentially said was, God, I'd rather be like you. That's what the devil said. If you take the fruit and you eat of the fruit, you'll be like God. And he wasn't lying. He wasn't lying because when, when Adam left the, 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 the fruit on the tree, he was leaving the knowledge of good and evil in God's hands. But when he took the fruit himself and ate of it, he said, I'm taking the knowledge of good and evil into my own hands. And this is the, this is the, you know, the common theme of Scripture. You get to the end of the book of, of Judges, and you read the, that classic verse that says, they did what was right in their own eyes. They defined for themselves what was good and what was evil, and, and then you get into the New Testament where, where the writers say, uh, you know, woe unto those who call good evil and evil good, and that this is the this is the, the 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 climate of the world today, where they 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 say something is good when it's really evil, and they say something that's that's evil but it's really good, and, and it's amazing. You can watch the way the world turns and the way the world spins, and it, it really does line right up with that, what the Bible says. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And this is, this, is the, this is the condemnation of the world, that sin has entered the world, and that, uh, the, Paul says death spread to all men because all men sinned. Yeah. So Adam was the first, he introduced it to humanity, but then the rest of the world took it on their own and, and basically continued to define for themselves what was good, and what was evil and to understand that you need to understand what sin is sin is a big word and it has a lot of baggage really um, due somewhat to teaching of the church and maybe what people thought the church was teaching and you know then there's the different branches of the church that have spread out and all have kind of defined what is sin but but Just going back to the word, you know, as Pentecostals, we are restorationists at heart. We want to restore. What did the Bible say? Forget church fathers, forget church history. Put that on the side for academic study. But when we're trying to figure out what God wants, we're going to go back to his word and find out what he defines as sin. And the the word sin can be literally defined as missing the mark. You aimed for something, but you missed it. And what was the mark? The mark is what God created you to be, right? God created you to, be, uh, to have dominion. God created man to have dominion over the world and over themselves and, and over everything that God has created. But man surrendered that when he sinned. He forfeited that power. He forfeited that mark. He missed the mark. He missed the goal that God created us to be. It's like if you take an iPad and you use it for a cutting board, you're missing the mark of what that piece of equipment was, used, was designed for. It was not designed to cut your vegetables. It was designed for you to play games and, and do art and make music and, and uh, write emails and whatever you use your iPad or your tablet for. That's what it was made for. You're missing the mark. And, and, and so sin really comes at just the, the brass tacks are you're missing the mark of what God has created you for. Take a look at what the Bible defines as sin, and you'll find that God is just trying to restore what, he, what has been broken. Right. You know, a lie is a sin because it breaks relationships. It breaks trust. Uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you commit uh, sexual sins that are, are defined in Scripture, they're all centered around the brokenness of relationships. Uh, You know, sexual sins are all wrapped around in something that is unhealthy, something that is lustful or taken beyond its measure or its scope of how it was created to benefit man and to help man. That's what sin is. So Paul says that this is the condition of humanity. We all live under this condemnation. Of the judgment of our sin, we live under this this weight of condemnation because of our sin. And so, some might argue, and they did. They said, "Well, what about the Gentiles who don't know the law?" Right. And Paul said, "Even the Gentiles in Romans two fourteen who do not have God's written law, they don't have the, the 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 you know the Pentateuch. They don't have the 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 Old Testament law in their hand. They cannot know what is wrong and right because." They're not part of the Commonwealth of Israel, but even they know this law instinctively because they obey it without knowing it. Every every society in the world has some semblance of the Ten Commandments in the fabric of their society. You know, they all have some semblance that, that you shouldn't murder somebody. That there, there is some kind of morality. It may be twisted, it may be skewed, it may not be exactly in line with the Old Testament law. But there is, a, there is something woven into our DNA, into our morality and our conscience that tells us there's something right and there's something wrong. Even the idea of a society defining for itself what is right and wrong is acknowledging that there is a right, that there is a wrong, that there is a morality, there is something in the word of God that is applicable to their life. And so Paul says that, that they, have, they have disobeyed the moral laws of God and so they're just as guilty. They're just as guilty. And, and he goes into a long stint in Romans 2 about how the Jews aren't any better because they knew the law, because they broke it. Even though they knew it, they, they broke it. They're in the same boat as the Gentiles, all under condemnation. They're all under condemnation. Nobody's better off. When, when man faced this realization that they were under this condemnation, what was man's reaction Genesis 3 tells us, it's very plain, that the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. What is our reaction to condemnation to hide from God's presence? It's amazed me and saddened me to talk to people who live under condemnation and, and accept it. I remember talking to a girl who used to come here and she said, I, my dad will never come to this church," he said. "Oh, why is that?" I was really curious. She said, "Well, he told me that if he ever steps foot inside the door of a church, he'll probably burst into flames upon stepping over the threshold. He just don't—he doesn't think he'll ever be good enough to come to church." And right. she knew that that wasn't true, and that that you know she had to pray for him and whatnot. But but it really was this sense of condemnation that forced him to hide from the presence of the Lord. Now, David said, where can I go? Where can I hide from your presence? And that's, the beauty of it is that if that were true, he would have spontaneously combusted at home. He didn't even, he didn't have to come to the church building. You can't hide from the presence of God. But but this is man's attempt. I'm going to hide myself. I'm going to not pray today because I I'm under condemnation. Isn't that what we do when we feel guilty, when we feel shame, when we feel fear? We hide ourselves from the presence of the Lord, and the Lord has to come looking for us. Where are you, he said. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. What did Adam confess to? He confessed that he was fearful, he had shame, and that he was guilty. The three components of condemnation are fear, shame, and guilt. And so Adam experienced them. And isn't it interesting that the three worldviews that generally define the cultures of this world are guilt innocence, that's the North American, fear power, that's, uh, you know, some other cultures experience fear power, and then honor shame. And all of them are stemming from this sense that we have transgressed, we have failed, our, our, we've missed the mark, and we're under condemnation. We are under the sentence of judgment. And if I just stay away from the judge, I won't be condemned. I have this, this, this deception in my brain that if I stay away from God then I'll avoid the judgment and the sentence that's been pronounced on my life. But the beautiful thing about the gospel, and so this is just setting the stage for you this morning. How do I, how do I deal with this condemnation? I cannot escape it. I cannot escape the reality of my situation. So, so what do I do with it? What do I do with this? condemnation can really come into our life and it can look like overwhelming guilt shame or fear I mean, we can have it even as believers we can have condemnation right yes, guilt for maybe a poor financial decision you get to a certain point in your life and you look back and you go I wish I had known I wish I had made a better choice and now I feel guilty because I've I made the choice and look at the consequences there's there's a guilt a shame a fear that comes over us, maybe the way you spoke to a family member, a broken relationship that, you know, it wasn't all you, but you, you put your oar in, right? You you put your pedal to the metal, so to speak, and you had your part to play. And the guilt and the shame of that can can really apply to your life. The mistakes from the past can can shadow over us like a cloud some days. And maybe a lack of integrity and honesty in a way we dealt with something, or we missed an opportunity. We missed an opportunity, and now we're paying the consequences of that, so there's a guilt, a sense of shame. Maybe that traumatic experience that was done to you, some can be even overwhelmed with shame, fear, and guilt over something that was done to them. They had no power to change it, but something unspeakable was done to them, and they are now dealing with this reality of the weight of condemnation. Maybe I should have done something different. Maybe I shouldn't have been there. Maybe I shouldn't have have done that. Maybe I did something to, to promote this. Why am I having to deal with this kind of pain? The hope that I want you to leave with today is what Paul says in Romans 8. He gets to the middle of his letter and he says there is no condemnation to those who are in... Christ Jesus. Yes. And so the first question you have to ask yourself is, well, how do I get in Christ Jesus? What does that mean? What is Paul talking about? And Paul uses this phrase not, uh, not once, not twice, but a number of times in his writings where he talks about being in Christ. Yes. In Christ. And, and how do I get in Christ? I am, I am on the out I feel like, I, you know, like I am I feel like Adam, I'm hiding. If I'm hiding, I'm not in Christ. I'm out. I want to get in Christ because if I get in Christ, Paul said it in another letter, he says, your life is hid with Christ in God. You You are literally put inside of Jesus. And how do I do that? How do I get in Christ? Acts 2 and 38 gives us a clue. Peter said, to a group of people who had asked him Peter what shall we do we we feel the shame of our choice our decision to crucify Jesus Peter said first repent second get baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ the word baptized interesting point of trivia here for you is not an English word it's a Greek word that the English translators you have to remember the, the Bible was translated by Anglicans, primarily, and, and uh, they, they had this doctrine in their church about baptism. And the doctrine was that you, you sprinkle an infant, um, you know, and they, they are considered baptized. Right. So when they begin to translate the Bible from Latin and Greek to English, they hit these, these verses in Acts chapter 2. And they hit these verses in Matthew where they were doing something in the Jordan River. I mean, if you're sprinkling, what do you need a river for? Just right. get a yeah. bottle of water and, yeah. pff, 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 you know, get a cup. You don't need a river for So they came up, and they didn't want the church to read the Bible and go, wait a minute. What's going on here? So they said, instead of translating the word baptizo right. from the Greek to English, which, which would be actually the proper translation would be immerse. That's the actual real English word. So we're just going to pull from the Greek and m- spell it in English letters. We're going to spell the Greek word. It's called transliterating. They didn't translate. They transliterated it. They pulled the Greek word into the English language. So they could, now they could say, we're going to define for you what is baptism. When the unlearned people would begin to read the English Bible and they'd hit the word baptize, The church would say, oh, we'll tell you what that word means. We're the experts. Baptized means sprinkle your baby in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And and the the real meaning was lost. So really when you read Acts 2.38, it should say, and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Another way to translate baptizo is planted. Be planted, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Remission is the forgiveness or the washing of your sins. So the first clue of how you get in Christ is found in Acts 2 when he says immerse yourself in the name, the character, the identity, and the authority of Jesus Christ." For the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It goes even further in Acts 22.16 when Ananias looked at Paul and he said, Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Your sins are washed away. The condemnation from your life is removed when you put yourself in Christ. Paul teased it out a little bit more even in Galatians 3.27 when he says, for as many of you as have been baptized in Christ have put on Christ. And the New Living, I like how it reads it, you put on Jesus like a new pair of clothes. You put on Christ. Something comes over you. You get inside the new clothes. You get inside the new identity. You get inside the new name. You put on Christ. You get in Christ. For if any man be in Christ, Paul said, he is a new creature. How can you be a new creature uh, without a new name? How can you be without a new creature without a new identity? How can you be a new creature without a new pair of clothes? You cannot. It has to all change. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Second Corinthians 5.17. He talks about being in Christ. So the first way to get rid of condemnation is baptism. But baptism is so cool because Paul makes a connection in 1 Corinthians 10 about baptism and the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. He makes a very interesting connection. And if you indulge me here a moment, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1, Paul said, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Paul says, Remember this story? They left Egypt. The the blood was applied to the doorposts. They left the house through the Passover celebration and they begin to walk towards the Red Sea. And God led them by a cloud to the Red Sea. It's not the way they would have chosen, but it's the way God directed them. So they arrive at the Red Sea and Pharaoh comes in behind them. They're afraid. Moses stretches his rod. God parts the waters. They walk through four million people on dry ground in one single night. That's a miracle. Amen. And, and Paul says, remember that story? Okay, verse 2. And then he says, in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. So Paul says, just like you, you were slaves to sin in the world. And the Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. They were delivered by the blood of a lamb out of Egypt. You're delivered by the blood of Jesus from your sin. So repentance gets you out of the world. The word repent means to turn around and go in the opposite direction. So repentance is you leaving Egypt. You're not saved. You've just left Egypt. You're not saved, you've just left your old habits behind. You said the sinner's prayer and I celebrate and commemorate and I'll throw a party for you and heaven throws a party for you when you say that sinner's prayer because you've left Egypt. That's a huge step. That's a huge step. That's monumental for someone to step out of the way they've lived up until this point in their life and begin to walk in a new way of life. That's amazing. But you're not there yet. You haven't crossed the Red Sea. You haven't, you haven't gotten rid of the Pharaoh yet. Pharaoh is still on your tail. So they get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh is pressing in behind them. Someone repents of their sins and they begin to make their way towards God. And heaven throws a party and heaven launches a military, or hell launches a military campaign. Because they want the slave back. Pharaoh comes chasing the Israelites right to the borders of of the water. And what was it that blocked Pharaoh from tackling the Israelites before they could cross? There was a pillar of fire that separated them. God will fight for you even if you have not yet been baptized. God will God will set up blockades for the devil to prevent to give you every opportunity of escape. And you'll hear people talk about how they received the Holy Ghost right after they repented. What is that? That's just the fire covering you. That just God covering you so you can get to the water. Because when you get to the water, God said, I divided the water. They walked through. When Pharaoh tried to chase them through the water, Pharaoh drowned. That's right. The devil can chase you right up to the edge of the baptismal tank. He can chase you all the way into the water. But if he tries to get through the water, he's going to drown. He can't get through the water. When you go into Christ, the Bible says your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's a powerful thing. When you have a revelation of who you are in Christ, that as long as you're in Christ, the devil has no hold on you. The condemnation of your past has no hold on you the mistakes you made yesterday have no hold on you the mistakes you made this morning have no eternal hold on you Hey, I know, I know there's still some physical consequences in this life, uh, but if you want to look at it from the perspective of grace, God is able to take even your worst mistakes uh, and make them work out for his good. He'll still, he has mercy, he has grace uh, that is greater than our sin. We can still come before the throne room of grace uh, and obtain mercy and find strength. So don't hide from God when you've messed up Uh, don't run away and try to cover yourself with fig leaves so to speak uh, and and cover your life up with with all kinds of things to to prevent yourself from coming before the presence of God no come before his presence uh, and lay it bare before him open up yourself to God uh, and receive his forgiveness again because uh, uh, like like John said to the church he said you know what if you walk in darkness you're not practicing truth If you're walking in an attempt to hide through the darkness what you're doing, you're not walking in the light. But if you live in the light as God is in the light, in other words, everything is exposed to God. If you live like everything's exposed to him and you expose everything to him, then you have fellowship with him, verse 7 of 1 John 1, and the blood of Jesus cleanses, or the King James does cleanse F, and the suffix F on the end of the word cleanse means it's continual, it's perpetual, it's, it's circular, it doesn't start and stop at one point in your life, it's continual. If you claim you have no sin, you're back in the darkness, you're hiding from God. But if you confess, if you admit and, and be honest with God about your mistakes, your sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse and forgive uh, from all that wickedness. You, you, you're covered again. There's a covering again. Paul said there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The devil may try to lay it on you, but he can't really. He's just the phantom of a pharaoh that is now on the other side of the Red Sea. He cannot get to you. Now Paul covers this in Corinthians 10. He says, even though Pharaoh was gone... The voice of Pharaoh still rung in the ears of the Israelites, the memory of the idols, the memory of the garlic and the leek and the watermelon. they remembered from Egypt they forgot the slavery, they remembered the fun they had, but they forgot the, the, the nights they laid awake and cried themselves to sleep they they forgot the the penalty of their 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 slavery, but they remembered whatever little good things that were there and they they worshipped idols, and they, they messed up on their wilderness trek, and God says, don't forget. Remember, Israel, that when you, even though you're baptized, even though you, you may receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which, by the way, uh, repentance gets you out of the world, baptism gets you in Christ, and the Holy Ghost gets Christ in you. So there's like, you know, you're a complete package. It's a, it's a whole thing. You get out in and him in you. It's a very big package that's all necessary for you to continue to walk with God. And and now Paul says you've got to walk in the Spirit. So the first step is get get you in Christ. Those who are in Christ will not have any condemnation. But then who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Israel's problem was they got into the baptism part but they didn't let what God had done get into them. They didn't walk after the Spirit. They didn't follow the cloud, but they followed their flesh. They grumbled. They complained. They, they remembered. They lusted. They, they fought their leadership. They, they worked against the plan and the will of God, and, and because of that, many of them dropped in the wilderness. They did not make it to the promised land. Paul said, these are all examples for us. So when you hit a temptation, he says, just remember, God has provided a way of escape. For every temptation, He provides a way out. There is a way out of your struggle. There is a way out of your circumstance, of your fear, of your guilt, of your shame. You can have security in your relationship with God. You are covered and clothed in the name and the blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. How powerful is this really? It's powerful enough that Paul would write of Abraham and say that he didn't do any wrong in all of his life. He had perfect faith. Grace looks back over Abraham's life and says Abraham didn't waver. Abraham didn't mess up. He kept it straight and narrow the whole time. And then you go back and you read Abraham and you went, but he lied, but he deceived, but he, eh, he slept with another woman to produce a son to fulfill the promises of God. That doesn't exactly seem like the straight and narrow. That seems like the, the, the windy and the curvy. Yes, sir. Amen. But grace looks back over Abraham and says, nope, he's covered in the righteousness of God. So when God looks back over our lives, he does not see us. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we're in him. In him you live and move and you have your life, your being. You can walk with your head held high. When you're baptized, it covers everything. You can walk boldly into the throne room of God and not be worried that you have to pay a penalty or pay a fine or pay a ticket. It's been paid already for you by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to close with this last story to help illustrate it for you. If you want to stand with me, we're going to pray. There's a pastor and his wife who frequented the prisons in California. And they, they had a great prison ministry there and... They were going in and out of various prisons to reach the inmates in those prisons. And in one particular prison they went into, it was a new work, and it was a, a women's prison. And uh, they began to have some success. People were coming and getting baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. And this prison, what, they got a warning from the from the guard before they got in there. And the guard said, you know what, not many churches make a good indent here. This prison is pretty locked up. These women are pretty hard, and and they said, that's all right. We'll just do what we can, and they begin to have great success, and finally one particular day they went, a, a, a woman came up to them and said, who are you people? And they she introduced her. She said, I am, I am a witch in this prison, and I have dominion in this prison, spiritual dominion, and every church group that I've that, that's come in here I've been able to lock down and they've never been able to do much here but there is something about you people I cannot penetrate I cast my spells and I've done my my work I normally and it's not working and the, the pastor's wife was very kind and said well praise God <laughs> praise God and she says, I cannot cast a thing on you. Everything that I cast on you, it just doesn't work. It falls off. And she says, normally when I look at people, I can see who they are. I can see their, fa- their past, and it's revealed to me. I can use it against them. But every time I look at you people, I can't see anything. All I see, the pastor's wife says, well, what do you see? She says, I can't understand it. All I see is red. Whenever I see you, all I see is red. I'm here to tell you that when you're covered in Christ, all the devil really sees when he looks at you is red. Walk in confidence. Walk in authority that God has you covered. You don't have to live under the pressure of yesterday, your past errors and mistakes. It's covered by the blood. Can we worship Him this morning? Jesus, we thank You. We worship You, Lord. We worship You this morning. We thank You for Your blood. We thank You for the covering of Your blood. There is nothing stronger than the wonder-working power of Your blood, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus.